0: Very bad things in Gaza: shooting at people with white flags. It's documented in detail. They've even shot their own people with with, with uh, uh, white uh, flags. Uh, they uh, they have settler organizations, mafia-style settler organizations, displacing uh, unarmed women and children and, and families across the West Bank. Many of these are recruited to the Israeli defense forces. They are they are they belong in jail, but they are in the. The Israeli defense force, no one can guarantee that there are not problems. Therefore, they have to be investigated and there has to be action taken every time something happens. But don't cut funding to people in great need. It's the worst possible
1: response.
2: Jan Eglund, want to thank you for being with us. Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council speaking to us from Oslo. I'm Amy Goodman. This is another edition of Democracy Now!
3: That's Doc Watson, one of the many artists you can hear on the Cascadia Coffee House each Friday morning, when we share a wide variety of traditional and contemporary folk and roots music with you from 5.30 to 7 a.m. Each week, your hosts Dan Schramach and Steven Morrison bring you some of our favorite new releases and plenty of vintage favorites. It's a great way to start your Fridays, discover some new music, and find out about shows and festivals coming to the area. You can also find show playlists and listen to archived shows on demand via our website at kboo.fm and also via our free mobile app. That's the Cascadia Coffee House each Friday morning where you hear a variety of traditional and contemporary folk and roots music from 5.30 to 7. Right here on KBOO. We hope you'll join us. Tune
4: in to KBU on Saturday, February 17th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. for a special live remote broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream. Keep Alive the Dream is an annual celebration of the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This year's event includes guest speakers and musical performances from the MLK All-Star Band, Eli Hardy, and more. Again, that's a special live broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream, Saturday, February 17th, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. here on your community radio station, KBOO, Portland.
1: And now, your daily volunteer-produced community newscast, the KABU Evening News.
2: Coming up on the KABU Evening News, residents at a senior center in Sandy were given just hours' notice that their facility lost its license.
0: The Oregon Labor Department faces a serious backlog of wage and civil rights claims.
2: And in national news, election officials gear up for a new AI-based threat to the 2024 election.
0: Good evening. This is the KBOO Evening News for Monday, January 29th, 2024. I'm Reed Johnson.
2: And I'm Michelle Coppola. A senior living and memory care facility in Sandy was abruptly shut down by the Oregon Department of Human Services on Friday afternoon. The families of people living there were given little notice that their relatives were being moved and they say they didn't get any say in where they ended up. Mount Hood Senior Living had 17 residents as of last week. The Human Services Department said Mount Hood Senior Living was quote, a serious threat to resident health and safety with seven violations and they suspended their license. They include not providing a safe and sanitary kitchen, improperly training staff, and failing to safely administer medication. In December, 81-year-old Ki Sun Hyun wandered away from the memory care unit and one day later she was found dead. An investigation into the facility a month earlier found three other violations families were emailed in the late afternoon on friday by the facility saying the state would be relocating the senior living residents by midnight families have raised concerns about the process and the disruption it brings to family members with dementia or alzheimer's according to the department of human services the senior living facility has a right to administrative hearings before their license suspension becomes final
0: The Oregon Labor Department is asking for extra funding from state lawmakers this session to address a backlog of wage and civil rights claims. Investigate West reports there are around 3,000 wage claims and nearly 1,300 civil rights claims still pending. Workers sometimes wait a year or more to get justice after experiencing discrimination or having their wages stolen. Labor Commissioner Christina Stevenson said to lawmakers, quote, this is obviously not what we want. It gives a competitive advantage to employers that don't play by the rules. This is millions of dollars that aren't getting back into our economy, end quote. As for why the backlog persists, officials say an uptick in claims, an outdated computer system, and staff turnover have contributed. Wages for Labor Bureau investigators remain low as well. A recent study showed these workers earned between 16 and 64% less than employees in comparable positions at other state agencies. Stevenson told lawmakers, quote, if you're staring down a 3,000 case backlog, it's a difficult place to be when you're not making much more than you could at Target, end quote. Lawmakers seem inclined to support more funding for the Labor Department. At a pre-session presentation by Stevenson, they agreed that compensation for Labor Department investigators was important to help reduce the backlog.
2: There are concerns that artificial intelligence will be used to meddle in the 2024 election here in the United States. It could also lead to voters trusting real information less. KBOO's Matea Carlin has more.
5: The rise of artificial intelligence is raising alarm bells for election officials across the country. Before the New Hampshire primary, a robocall imitating President Joe Biden called voters and told them not to vote. It's seen as a potential preview of what voters could be in for as the 2024 general election approaches. Rachel Ory is the senior associate director of the Bipartisan Policy Center's Elections Project. She says, while incidences like this one in New Hampshire might be isolated, AI could have other consequences.
6: Our bigger concern is what's known as a liar's dividend, that even when there are instances of generative AI being used to target voters with false information, they feed into this bigger risk that the presence of false information makes voters trust any information less.
5: Ori says the past few years have seen a near-constant assault on accurate voting information, which has made it challenging for good information to reach voters. Oregon's Republican and Democratic primary elections are on May 21st. Ori says AI could supercharge the misinformation campaigns that have existed for years. However, election officials across the country have a leg up going into the 2024 vote.
6: Election officials and voting advocates around the country are sort of well prepared to mitigate and respond to increases in misinformation because they spent the last couple of years flexing that muscle and learning how to respond to misinformation and election denial campaigns.
5: Ori says election officials should have a plan ready to respond to AI misinformation campaigns, which might include contacting affected voters. She says there likely aren't any regulatory options available at the moment to stop these campaigns.
6: Technology is maybe growing faster than the regulatory tools we have available. So at present, it seems difficult to find a policy that the government could adopt and make these robocalls impossible.
5: Ori says another concern is targeted campaigns that use a voter's personal information to persuade them not to vote, although there aren't any documented instances of this happening yet. For KVU News and the Oregon News Service, I'm Matea Carlin.
0: The Eugene Weekly will return to print next week, the editor says. In December, the entire staff was laid off because of an embezzlement scheme that left the paper with serious debt. The return to newsstands was made possible by a large fundraising campaign and community contributions. A skeleton crew has been rehired at the Weekly, and editor Camilla Mortensen hopes to hire back the rest of the laid-off staff soon. Doing that requires paying down some debt and making more stable ad revenue, she says. The return of the Eugene Weekly is set for Thursday, February 8th.
2: Food carts at the Portland Mercado reopened their doors as of Friday, January 26th. That's a little over three weeks after a devastating fire forced the small businesses at Southeast Foster and 72nd to shut down. For now, the carts are takeout only since the main seating area is still under repair from fire damage. The bar, juice bar, and commissary kitchen are still closed for repairs. They were the ones most damaged by the fire in early January. Portland Mercado was created in 2015 as an initiative of the Hacienda CDC. It's a hub for Latino culture and a business incubator, helping small businesses launch and grow. The Community Fund for the Damaged Mercado closes tomorrow with all the proceeds going towards rebuilding the damages to the site.
0: A program that provides free mental health consultation for young children has a proven track record for helping in Washington State. Holding Hope wants to secure an additional $1.75 million to serve more people. Eric Tegedoff has more.
7: A program in Washington State is helping young kids with challenging behaviors. It's hoping to secure more funding during the legislative session this year. Holding Hope provides free mental health consultation for children, families, teachers, and early education providers. Janet Fratz with Child Care Aware of Washington says there's a backlog of people who could benefit from the proven mental health strategies Holding Hope provides.
6: It's basically an adult capacity building endeavor to support and strengthen the things that they already know and to support them with situations that are challenging with young children.
7: The program is free to license providers participating in the Early Achievers Program. Fretz says Holding Hope is helping between 120 and 140 programs at any given time, with about 100 providers on their wait list. There's a request to increase the program's annual budget by $1.75 million. Erica Larson is an early childhood mental health consultant with Holding Hope. She says the program works by building relationships with facilities, teachers, and parents. Typically, they get requests when children present a safety concern to their class.
6: If we think about how behavior is communication and what's going on behind that, we can work with the kids to help them get the things that they need in a new way and then help support the teachers learn how to meet those needs in a more helpful way for the classroom as a whole and for the child.
7: The program has a track record of reducing expulsions and improving child behavior. Fratt says that benefits everyone.
6: We're improving teacher-child interactions. We're just decreasing stress and staff turnover. Overall improvement in the classroom, social-emotional climate, and it enhances their teaching skills with regard to social-emotional topics.
7: Fratt says there's one mental health consultant for every 12,000 kids in Washington. The recommended ratio is one for every 300 kids. For Washington News Service, I'm Eric Tegadoff.
2: A U.N. court says Israel may be committing genocide in Gaza, but it's not calling for a ceasefire. Former President Trump campaigns in Las Vegas ahead of Nevada's first-ever primary, and one Utah group is focused on bills to change voting there. With more on those stories, it's Alex Gonzalez with 2024 Talks.
8: Welcome to 2024 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. The
3: court is acutely aware of the extent of the human tragedy that is unfolding in the region and is deeply concerned about the continuing loss of life and human suffering.
8: President of the International Court of Justice Joan Donahue says Israel may be committing genocide in Gaza. While the court is unwilling to take the drastic step and decline to call for a ceasefire, the ICJ is pressing for better protection of civilians. Donald Trump's legal team says they're undeterred that a New York jury ruled the former president must pay more than $83 million to E. Carroll for defaming her and denying he sexually assaulted her. Trump lawyer Alina Haba says she'll continue to represent him. No,
2: I'm not having any second thoughts about representing President Trump. It is the proudest
6: thing I could ever do.
8: Trump's camp says they plan to appeal. On Saturday, the former president campaigned in Las Vegas ahead of Nevada's first-ever presidential preference primary. Trump says those running for public office should be forced to take an aptitude test.
7: I think everybody running for president and vice president should take a cognitive test, okay? Yeah.
8: Under the state's complicated new system, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has opted to run in the state's primary, while Trump will be on the ballot for a separate caucus February 8th. The primary and caucus are close to anyone outside of the party, and the delegates will be decided by the caucus. Texas Governor Greg Abbott calls the situation at the border an invasion. While that could allow him to take authority from federal agencies, such as the Border Patrol, Abbott hasn't formally made the argument in court. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says Abbott is only complicating the situation. What we're seeing from Governor Abbott, you've heard me, say this over and over again. He's making it harder for Border Patrol to do their jobs. They need access. In the most recent battle over who controls immigration, the Supreme Court gave the Border Patrol permission to remove razor wire Texas installed on the border. The Utah legislature has been in session almost two weeks, and one group says there have been more than 10 anti-democracy bills introduced. T.J. Ellerbeck with the Rule Utah Project says some lawmakers would put major limits on who, how, and when folks can vote.
1: The
7: worst of those is one bill that would eliminate voting by mail in Utah. And Utah has been an all vote by mail state for the last eight years. Some parts of the state have been all vote by mail for 10 years. And over 90% of Utahns vote by mail.
8: If passed, House Bill 92 would require voters who want to vote by mail to sign up. Currently, county clerks send out mail-in ballots automatically. Supporters say the bill would help clean up voter rolls and increase active voter participation. Finally, the Biden administration has announced it'll forgive nearly $5 million in student debt for almost 75,000 borrowers through Department of Education fixes to income-driven repayment and public service loan forgiveness. Democratic Representative from Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley, calls it transformative.
9: Student loan cancellation will change
2: and save lives.
8: I'm Alex Gonzalez for Pacific Network and Public News Service. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.
0: You're listening to the KBOO Evening News. Stay tuned after this newscast for an in-depth interview with Katie Cox, the executive director of the Equi Institute, on a new report on houselessness among transgender and queer people in the Portland area. At 6, it's Labor Radio. At 6.30, it's Prison Pipeline. And then at 7, LTAR. Let's talk about race. Tonight's weather will be cloudy with some gusty winds and a low of 46 degrees. Tomorrow, cloudy a daytime high of 58 today in history in 1891 lulia kulane is, procl- is proclaimed the last monarch and only queen regnant of the kingdom of hawaii she reigned until 1893 until the hawaiian kingdom was overthrown she composed the folk song aloha oi and the core of the day is from queen lulia kulane who said quote never cease to act because you fear you may fail The true secret is to know your own worth. It will carry you through many dangers.
2: The American Museum of Natural History in New York City closed two Native exhibits this weekend over concerns raised by the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act.
10: With that story and more, it's Antonia Gonzalez with National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Over the weekend, the American Museum of Natural History in New York City closed two halls exhibiting indigenous cultures of North America, the Eastern Woodlands and Great Plains. The move comes after the Biden administration's recent updates to the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which includes tribal consultation and consent for exhibition and research of artifacts. In a letter to museum staff from the museum's president, both halls are said to display artifacts that could require consent under under the new regulations. The letter goes on to say the halls are severely outdated and rather than covering or removing items, they're closing the halls. The museum is also covering seven cases located in various areas in the museum which display native items. The museum says it will work with the tribes and native communities and will use this as a learning opportunity. A musician in New Mexico channels John Cage and his Navajo ancestors to honor those lost in The Long Walk. KSJD's Clark Adamaitis has a story of a musical performance that will run for four and a half years.
1: Delbert Anderson is a jazz musician and composer in Farmington, New Mexico. Recently, Anderson launched a performance of a piece he calls The Long Walk. It's an abstract piece of music that lasts for four and a half years, but only includes 50 notes in total. There are months of musical silence between each note. The four and a half year long piece represents the amount of time of the long walk of the Navajo, 1,674 days. That's the length of time Navajo people were forced from their homeland in the 1860s by the US government. Um,
6: Thanks
7: for coming out, my name is Delbert Anderson.
1: In December, Anderson gathers with community members and musicians at an art gallery in Farmington. The performance tonight is a single note played for a 30-second interval, a concert D.
3: And those of you who want to participate, you're welcome to sing the note as well. You can hold the note as long as you, you want. Some people just do a simple bop. And that's it. And I'll talk about...
1: The- On the long walk, more than 10,000 Navajo people were forced to march hundreds of miles to an internment camp in New Mexico. They were malnourished and weren't clothed properly. During some periods, 20 to 30 starved each week. These are the details performers and audience members consider in the moments before the note is played.
4: So, alrighty, let's go ahead and
3: get ready. One, two, three...
1: The musicians hold the D-note as we reflect on a history that's more than a hundred years old. Following the note, there's silence for some time.
3: Awesome. Yeah.
4: When I played that concert uh, D on my
1: trombone, I just felt echoes of, like, generations of, of ancestors. Sam Botter is a trombonist and a native Hawaiian who lives in Farmington.
4: I really felt it in the silence after I played. I had to close my eyes and just kind of sit and think with it for a little bit.
1: The 50th and final note will be performed on June 1st, 2028. In the intervening time, several dozen additional notes will be played. Between each of those notes, there are periods of silence. Silence that reminds us what the Navajo people faced during their long walk. I'm Clark Edomaitis.
10: Pete Kaiser won the Cuscoquim 300 sled dog race over the weekend in Alaska. The Bethel Musher won the race for the eighth time. Kaiser and other Alaska Native mushers competed in the 300-mile race, which takes teams through Yukon Cuscoquim Delta communities. This year is the 45th running of the race. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: An organization advocating for amending Florida's strict anti-abortion law is celebrating a notification from the state confirming the issue is set to be included on this year's ballot as Amendment 4.
9: Trimmel Gomes has the details. Florida voters will soon have the opportunity to express their views on abortion rights at the ballot box. After Governor Ron DeSantis approved a law last year restricting abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, the Committee Floridians Protecting Freedom launched a petition drive for what it calls a constitutional amendment to limit government interference with abortion. Sarah Parker is with Women's Voices of Southwest Florida, part of a coalition supporting the petition. Parker says they were excited to receive notice Friday from the Florida Department of State that they've successfully secured the necessary number of valid signatures. Right
6: now. We you're just elated to actually have a number. I mean, it sounds good too. Uh, vote yes on four in 2024. Um, we've got over 900,000 petitions, and we're looking forward to the next steps, uh, which is the standard process of going through the Supreme Court, and we're confident.
9: The Florida Supreme Court now weighs in on the acceptability of the wording of the amendment. Attorney General Ashley Moody and other opponents have already delivered objections. In October, Moody expressed concerns the language could be an attempt to hoodwink voters, arguing the term viability has multiple interpretations. Confusion on the matter is likely to persist, given the actions of the Republican-controlled legislature, which not only approved additional abortion restrictions, but also has more pending restrictions yet to take effect. The implementation of a six-week limit hinges on the outcome of an ongoing legal battle about a 15-week abortion limit passed in 2022. The resolution of the 15-week case is also pending at the Florida Supreme Court. Parker hopes voters will have the final say.
6: It would mean to stop government interference within abortions and health care. So um, what we're doing is we're kind of taking it back to, you know, the time before Roe, before Dobbs uh, got overturned, or Roe got overturned.
9: Part of the amendment language states, no law shall prohibit, penalize, delay, or restrict abortion before viability or when necessary to protect the patient's health, as determined by the patient's health care provider. This is Tremel Gomes for Florida News Connection.
2: Liquefied natural gas has an uncertain future in the United States. As new science shows the detrimental impacts of LNG have on the environment, environmental groups point out that these have been a problem for years. Edwin G. Vieira has the details in Virginia.
9: The
11: U.S. is reconsidering its use of liquefied natural gas. While it's long been touted as a clean alternative to fossil fuels like coal, it has similar impacts in terms of emissions. Research finds if all gas export facilities proposed are now being built move forward, the emissions would equal those of 539 coal-fired power plants. Dominion Energy proposes adding liquefied natural gas storage to serve its Brunswick-Greensville storage facility. Jamie Han with Fossil Free Media says importing LNG opens America up to an unstable global market.
6: It means that instead of generating clean, renewable energy here at home, which we can control, if you have a solar panel on your roof, you're getting that electricity directly. Instead, we're really reliant on a really dynamic, fluctuating market at the global level. Recently, the Biden administration
11: paused a decision on whether to approve Calcasieu Pass 2, the country's largest LNG terminal. It would ship up to 24 million tons of gas annually, mostly to foreign markets. The Biden administration cited the five-year-old's environmental impact statement as the reason for delaying the decision. But some states have sought to keep these plants open at any cost. Texas has raised pollution limits for the Chenier LNG plant. As of 2022, that facility was allowed to release more than 350 tons of volatile organic compounds, twice the limit Texas set in 2014, and describes some environmental impacts liquefied natural gas can have on these communities.
6: At the same time, they really have a big impact on the environment, both through dumping toxins into local waterways, actually heating up the water around the facilities so that wildlife can't thrive there, and then obviously the construction of them and dredging all the canals to allow these ships is a big deal.
11: Aside from that, he says air pollution from LNG exposure can have health effects, including headaches, coughing, and dizziness. Longer term exposure can lead to more serious concerns, from heart disease and cancer to damage to people's reproductive systems and internal organs. This is Edwin J. Vieira for Virginia News Connection.
0: The Confederated Tribes of the Colville have led successful campaigns to reintroduce species to eastern Washington. Recently, they focused on bighorn sheep, salmon, and the Canada lynx. Eric Tagadoff
7: reports tribes are restoring native species to their habitats in Washington State. The Confederated Tribes of the Colville in eastern Washington have reintroduced a variety of species on indigenous land over the past few decades. Most recently, that includes bighorn sheep, salmon, and the Canada lynx. Rico Moore, who wrote about these efforts for Yes! magazine, says the tribe's wildlife department manager, Richard Whitney, has been an integral part of the projects.
3: He's a very competent biologist and uses the skills he learned in his advanced degrees in wildlife biology in hand with his ancestral traditions and stories to bring back these species and really restore a community of which human beings are also a part.
7: The tribes have led other successful reintroduction campaigns, starting with elk in the 1970s. They've also brought back sharp-tailed grouse, pronghorn, and buffalo. One of the tribe's most recent efforts is with Canada lynx. There's likely only a transient population of the lynx that live in the Kettle Mountains near the Colville Reservation. Moore says climate change-fueled megafires threaten their habitat, especially in western Oregon, and lynx are getting pushed out of the state. He says that's why the tribe's efforts are so crucial.
3: They needed to create this population of lynx in the Kettle area so that they would have a way to get up to the populations in British Columbia and down from the populations of British Columbia, so habitat connectivity. So there's a robust augmentation project going on with the lynx. They're doing quite well.
7: Moore says the reintroduction achievements of the Confederated Tribe of the Colville could help guide other communities.
3: As far as a model, I think that the perspective of restoring a community, not just the animals that are desirable to humans, but all the ones that were there before, and perhaps others that may need a climate refuge or something like that.
7: For Washington News Service, I'm Eric Tegadoff. This story was produced with original reporting from Rico Moore for Yes Media.
2: Iowa State University researchers are now using stem cells to treat blood diseases like leukemia. Their goal is to eliminate the need for often lethal bone marrow transplants. Mark Moran has more.
4: Researchers at Iowa State University are using stem cells from a person's blood to treat certain types of cancer. Their work could mean the end of bone marrow transplants. The research boils down to taking the next step in personalized medicine. Researchers draw blood from a patient's body, grow new stem cells in the lab, then use blood containing the new stem cells to attack blood diseases like leukemia in that patient. ISU cell biologist Raquel espen Palazón says this research could end the need for bone marrow transplants, which can be lethal 60% of the time because of what's known as graft-versus-host disease. It's not them,
6: obviously, because it came from another person, and then it's just going to attack the tissues of the patient.
4: Federal data show right now there are 18,000 people in the U.S. suffering from blood diseases which can only be treated with bone marrow transplants. She adds, it's incredibly complex to get a handle on bloodborne diseases, mostly because the body generates as many as 200 billion new red blood cells every day. So Espen Pelazon says researchers are turning to the Petri dish to create stem cells in the embryonic condition, their natural state, before the patient became sick and using them to treat disease.
6: Naturally, how can we recreate that in the dish so that we can make blood stem cells from patients.
4: Espin Palazon says researchers will eventually be able to turn on critical switches in the stem cells that could make them even more effective in treating disease. This is Mark Moran for Iowa News Service.
0: You are listening to the KBU Evening News for Monday, January 29th, 2024. This is a volunteer-produced newscast, and we encourage your participation. Call or text us with your breaking news, stories, tips, sensory experiences at 971-245-2158. Our production team for tonight's newscast includes Matea Carlin. The producer and engineer is Althea Billings. Special thanks to Eric Tegadoff, Antonia Gonzalez, Suzanne Potter, Mike Moen, Mark Moran, Tramiel Gomes, and Alex Gonzalez. The director of Evening News is Althea Billings. A podcast of this newscast is available on our website at KBOO.FM slash Evening News. You're listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. I'm Reed Johnson.
2: And I'm Michelle Capola. All of our KBOO programs, including the evening news, are supported by our members, great folks like you. And if you'd like to become a member and support our programming, you can go to kboo.fm slash give or text KBOO to 44321. Stay tuned now for KBOO News in Depth while well, we'll be interviewing Equi Institute Executive Director Katie Cox about a first-of-its-kind report on houselessness among transgender and queer people in the Portland area. Have a great night